morning again. This morning we wrap up our uh, season kickoff mini-series that we call Grace Stories. These are personal accounts of struggle in real life in our broken world that have tasted God's healing grace. And as has been the case uh, for the last three weeks and uh, each time we roll out this kind of mini-series with new faces and new stories, it has had a gospel ripple effect in our church family. Two weeks ago, Chin shared about her coming to faith in Jesus Christ and her mom's conversion on the other side of the globe in China and then family tragedy. And we looked at 2 Corinthians 10 and affirmed what Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle going on over souls. Last week, Karen shared about the emotional pain of singleness. And we talked from Philippians chapter 4 uh, about the secret of biblical contentment. And the reason these stories are so powerful is because every particular story with a little s has strands that connect with our individual stories that we find recognizable, familiar, um, perhaps sometimes comforting because we're not the only ones who struggle with brokenness and pain. There's unity in the brokenness, and there's unity as we look to the only source of healing, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, uh, morning Daniel Chung is ready to share his grace story. And here's a quick diagnostic test to apply to yourself to see if you'll relate to anything that he has to say this morning, okay? Three points. Did you grow up with one or two parents? Give yourself a point. Were they imperfect? If so, give yourself another point. And have you ever, in living with your parents or since leaving home, ever reacted, communicated, thought in imperfect ways? If you scored a three, congratulations. You're going to find a lot in common with what Daniel has to share about his family. Thanks, brother. On the surface, this is what the world knew of me. I was born and raised in the New York metro area by my parents who were immigrants from Korea. They worked blue-collar jobs and moved the family from a small apartment in the city to a house in the suburbs within a good school district. They both worked full-time with my mother working nights and my father the daytime so that one parent could always be home with me and my two younger siblings. We went to church every week. We dressed up every week. My parents served and still continue to serve at my old church. On the surface, this would seem like a great setup for raising children. But we live in a broken world. And like most families in the church, we kept up appearances. There was a culture of presenting our best and not showing weakness. And that was the case in our home as well. Errors, mistakes, and weakness were met with criticism and harsh judgment. It wasn't safe to show weakness to each other. I remember times when I would be in heated discussion with my parents, and because of the hopelessness and anguish I was feeling, I could not help but well up in tears while trying so hard to hold them back. 
now would beat myself up over this because I had shown a crack in the armor. I had shown vulnerability, and my parents were not capable of handling it. They did the best they could, but it further cemented in my mind that I couldn't open up to them, that they could never understand me. I've been building walls for as long as I can remember. Not sure when it started. These aren't physical walls that I can easily detect or see. They're emotional and spiritual walls to which I was blind in the past and struggle to detect today. These walls were formed to protect me from hurts. The first wall was probably built in response to a hurt and would be fortified over time whenever new hurts would arise. It was occurrences like a lack of reciprocation to my vulnerability, being picked on at school, or being harshly judged that triggered further fortification. Over the years, and unbeknownst to me, I had become a master builder of all kinds of walls. And they had become very high and thick. But by God's grace, he has brought them to my attention. The thing about walls is that it protects me from the bad. But it also cuts me off from the good. And unfortunately, that also meant relationship with God. So growing up, my life was pretty void of meaningful relationships with people, and especially with God. What are these walls like? One wall type takes form in my mind's inability to engage with my heart. This prevented me from engaging emotionally with situations or people. When the going got tough, tough, I would disengage or dissociate, and as a result, not really feel anything. A lot of times, I wouldn't know how I would feel about a situation or occurrence. Other times, I found it hard to know what I liked or wanted when faced with a decision. Nothing seemed to have any meaning or significance to me. Sometimes, I would have a hard time remembering things as it felt like I was being cut off from even myself. My system of walls were protecting things I hold very dear. My vulnerability, my fears, my pride, my desires, my soul. And when anything would threaten to break through, I would do whatever I could to dispel the threat or patch up the hole. For some time, I thought I had an anger problem as I would lash out disproportionately when threatened. But there was more to the anger. My outbursts also had the effect of pushing people away and perhaps even hurting them. Other times I would deflect the focus off of me and my shortcomings and direct it somewhere else. I would change the subject, blame others, or just not respond. These coping mechanisms that were meant to protect and preserve me not only became habitual but toxic for my soul. Being surrounded by walls also isolates. Being in isolation from the outside world can really do a number on one's perception of reality. I wasn't receptive to feedback. I would jump to conclusions without being informed. It also directed my focus inward, not outward. I was very self-absorbed, to say the least. I was only focused on meeting my comforts, my goals, my interests, and not those of others, unless it was for my gain. 
when someone would open up to me about what they were going through, I would turn the conversation around to be about me. An illustration as to the extent of my self-focus. Right after I came home from college, my father was diagnosed with cancer. He underwent surgery to remove it and then went through chemotherapy. He has since been in remission, but while this was happening, I, I wasn't just disengaged emotionally. I would lock myself up in my room and escape by binge-watching movies or shows. I avoided him, barely staying in the same place with him. He was suffering, but I was so caught up in myself that I didn't have the capacity to be outside of myself. Think of others, extend my hand, and have compassion. I was blind to my own dysfunction. Living in isolation can really distort one's perception of right and wrong, and what happened that time was one of many occurrences where my blindness and self-focus hurt others around me. But God has been chipping away at my walls. And while doing so, he has revealed to me not only my heart, but my idols as well. I found over time that I idolized freedom from responsibility, approval from others, and perfection amongst others. When I was in college, I didn't attend a church or an intervarsity group. But upon returning from home from what, but upon returning home from school, I went right back to my dutiful ways, of attending church each Sunday, of dressing up, keeping up appearances. But it was during these years after college that I started to realize that there is a God, with whom a relationship is very possible. I began to see that God kept me in His grasp through the years when I was keeping him out of my heart. And it was in these years that God allowed me to be shepherded by a pastor who was the first person in my life to display God's grace and reflect Jesus so clearly. I didn't need to worry about keeping up appearances around him. After one would open up to him about his or her weakness and brokenness, he would calmly respond, God still loves you. It's no coincidence that his favorite verse is Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And while I didn't fully grasp this during this short time he was at the post, the seed was planted. I began to realize what the gospel is truly about. It's not about relying on my own righteousness and appearance, but relying on Jesus' righteousness and how God sees me through him. My view on my idols began to change. God graciously allowed me to meet my wife, Lisa, and have children together. Facing transitions from being single to married, or from no kids to one kid, and then to two kids, God clearly challenged my idols of perfection and freedom from responsibility. This last idol, freedom from responsibility, is one I've struggled with for a long time. It's also one that is very much tied to my anxiety. When challenged, my fears of failure would emerge. Doubts over my abilities or gifts would arise. And all I would want to do in the moment would be to run away or lash out. Avoiding responsibility has another effect. It prevents me from taking responsibility for my actions, especially hurtful ones. It prevents me from saying sorry. It prevents me from owning up to my sin and its ugliness. 
when I was blind to the ugliness of my sin. I didn't feel a, a need to have a relationship with God. But he has allowed me to see my sin for what it is. And he has established communication with me through Jesus, breaking through my walls and deepening the relationships I have with those around me. God has also graciously placed me and my family in the community of GRC, its growth groups, and to celebrate recovery ministry. It's been a welcome change and refreshing to be in settings that encourage going beneath the surface and reflecting on Christ's work in our lives. When I was first asked to present my grace story, I, I had a hard time shaking the thought that I'm presenting at a time when I feel so unsettled and that I don't know the answers to a lot of questions. I still catch myself building walls. I still struggle with anxiety. And I sometimes struggle to identify what Christ's work means to me. But this is exactly where I'm called to be. To live in the now. No matter the circumstances, no matter how imperfect or broken this situation is. I have found that God shows his grace most brightly when things aren't the way they're supposed to be. I've also found he has a sense of humor. All my life, I wanted to hide or not be put on the spot. Yet he makes me the tallest, yellow-skinned person you'll ever see. God has my best interests in mind, even when I'm in the midst of struggles. And he's teaching me more and more each day what it means to live for him. Praise be to God. Thanks for letting me share. pray. Lord, we draw alongside our brother Daniel, so thankful for the evidence of your grace in his life to empower him to come up here and share so honestly and transparently. Lord, you have done this work. You have brought whatever fruit we are able to see and taste out of Daniel's life, and you're uh, increasingly doing that work for the glory of Jesus and for his good and the Chung family's good and for the benefit of this church. Lord, continue to fill him with your spirit. Continue to remind him, Lord, that he is loved as a son because of the son himself, Jesus. Continue to affirm to Daniel that you will never leave him nor forsake him. Lord, that you are a promise-keeping God and that your end, your purposes, your goals, your promises are immeasurably more than Daniel can ask or imagine. We trust you for all that and abundantly more in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again, Daniel. Uh, I, I just want you to know that... Um, None of us noticed that you are the tallest Asian dude we have ever set eyes on until you happen to mention that, but I think you're right. I think uh, now that you say that, um, the metaphor he chose is so perfect, isn't it? Building walls around his heart. And I want to uh, construct a 
biblical theology of walls. I think there is one. But before I do, I think it's important for us to consider lately the significance of walls in ancient times. A wall defined a city. Without a wall, your hometown was at best a big village, and it was susceptible to all kinds of forces around it. The words for city and fortress in uh, the ancient Middle East were synonymous because if you were a city, you had a wall, and if you had a wall, you were fortified against marauding armies and bandits, against wild animals that would get you if you were just living in a tent out in the wilderness, um, against the spread of invisible death in disease that would have been spreading throughout the land. And so you would get inside the walls and shut the gates and keep outside whatever belongs outside. And that was the picture of refuge and security within a city which had walls. And so when the Lord leads the Israelites against the people of Jericho in Joshua chapter 6, it was intimidating. They have a wall around their big city and the Israelites have, what, some big kitchen knives and spears cut out of tree branches. And God says, no, 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 this is not going to do. And you think he's going to open up the arsenal of heaven, and what he provides to the Israelites is a bunch of trumpets. This is what he promises in verses 3 through 5. You're thinking more, you know, shoulder-fired rockets. That's what we need to take down the walls of Jericho. Here's what God says. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. God didn't need to give them sort of this uh, strategic war plan, you know, um, that would take place over an... Um, you know, a week, and you know, we're going to flank, and we're going to have the archers here and the cavalry here. He said, when the walls come down, you'll know what to do. When the walls come down, it's all over for Jericho. With the wall, security. Without the wall, certain defeat. It's the picture we get. And later on in the Old Testament, Israel's sin brings judgment, and part of that judgment comes at the hands of the Babylonian army. They come from Persia and the northeast. They come and uh, lay siege against Jerusalem and utterly destroy the city. 2 Kings 25 describes the siege against the city that lasts for several months, and the end comes when the wall is breached. It's all over, just like that. Decades later, when the Israelites start returning from Persia, they are trickling back to uh, the land of Canaan, they're heading for Jerusalem, and a man named Nehemiah gets special permission from the king of Persia to do one thing, rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, because no wall was a reminder of, and, and it was the actuality of vulnerability and a reminder of conquest and humiliation. No wall, no identity. With a rebuilt wall, because Nehemiah accomplishes his project, Jerusalem, which is uh, a symbol of God's presence among the nations with a particular people at that time, Jerusalem is coming back. God's people 
are being blessed, and, and it's a picture of renewal and restoration when the wall is rebuilt. Not, not everything is instantly restored to its former glory, but the wall is so symbolic. Listen to how God promises future blessing upon His people in Isaiah 58. He says, Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. When we put Joshua and 2 Kings side by side with Isaiah, here's what we find. Tearing down walls that humanity has built is judgment. Rebuilding walls that God designs is blessing and restoration and renewal. There's the biblical theology of walls throughout the Old Testament history. What about Daniel's walls? In order to bring blessing and restoration and renewal to his heart, God had to tear down what Daniel had built. Because as Daniel shared with grace-enabled insight into his own heart, wall building isolates you from other people and from God Himself. And the reality is, it makes sense, now with walls around your heart, you won't get hurt so easily. But at the same time, you won't be able to love and be loved as fully. Defending breaches in your wall becomes the singular point of your life. I will not let myself be hurt like that again. I won't let her say that. I won't let her do that or won't let him uh, act that way around me. Uh, if I don't uh, come out from behind my wall and expose my heart, it can't get stomped on. And that self-protection driven by fear is so powerful. Wall building, Daniel pointed out, disengages the heart from real feeling and emotion. He described feeling numb, lacking purpose, not even uh, able to make simple decisions because he didn't know what he preferred. He didn't know what his heart um, in, in simple issues of life desired. The desperate need to self-protect also um, often involves throwing anger grenades over the wall at anyone who would dare to get close enough to possibly be a threat and shooting self-righteous arrows from on high upon people in blaming them. Blame shifting, Daniel pointed to. Wall building leads to glorifying self, but the irony is so often there's an element of despising of self that comes along with it. Walls hide what's inside. Just like a closet door that's closed hides all the mess you shoved into it before your guests arrived for dinner. And the closet door looks nice and neat, and the wall of the city might look strong and unbreachable, and gleaming because of the glory of the city, but when you go in, it might be desolate. It might be in ruins. It might lack soul. Walls are great for keeping up appearances and deceiving other people into thinking that life is doing okay, all right, when the opposite is the case. So God, in love, has been at work tearing down Daniel Chung's walls. There's rubble <laughs> around him. And God, in love, tore them down because he knew that Daniel's man-made walls could never truly provide real security and protection of his heart, of his soul. Here's the question I want you to consider, and I need to consider at the same time as you. 
Do you know what your wall looks like? Do you know, one level deeper, what your wall is intended to protect you from? What are your fears, anxieties? What's your worst-case scenario, nightmare, emotionally, relationally, spiritually? Do you have insight into what you're intent on protecting? Maybe you still hear in your, in your mind and your heart the harshly critical voices of your mother and or father. You could never do anything right, never earn their approval. Everything was met with harshness. Or, or maybe you hear the bully who would never leave you alone and the lies that he or she told you about who you were in fourth grade or seventh grade, you still tend to believe. You still tend to be vulnerable to that kind of pain. Maybe you've spent so long in your fortress of rightness that people around you, you see, uh, you tend to see, they, they just don't get it. They don't get it. And I have to shoot daggers at people to put them in their place. I have to shoot my self-righteousness arrows to correct them because they're wrong. I have to wag my finger at them from up high on the ramparts of my wall fortress at the ignorant ones who would chip away. Do you remember what Daniel identified in his story as one key turning point in his life? He said, it was a man who, quote, for the first time in my life displayed God's grace to me. Wow. For the first time in his life, Daniel knew that someone accepted him as he is, warts and all, mess inside the city fortress and all. For the first time, Daniel began to realize he didn't need to maintain appearances. In fact, um, he, he realized when he came out from uh, behind his hiding, he didn't instantly get mugged and attacked and left for dead. There was a measure of safety and security emotionally and spiritually. Daniel learned that in a fallen world, weakness is universal. Why don't we get that? Why is that so hard for us to understand? You know, it would be silly to make fun of someone because they are subject to the forces of gravity and stuck to the ground. You know, ha, 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 Daniel can't levitate. We would never say that because gravity universally affects us. It keeps us stuck to the ground, and sin is no different. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has warts, so to speak, on our sin-stained hearts. Why do we spend so much energy and effort at hiding the fact that we're messy, we're broken, we come from broken families, there's dysfunction, and this Christian man happened to be a pastor, could have been anyone, overflowing with the love of Christ. This Christian man simply displayed Christ's love to Daniel and invited him to live freely and love fully out from behind the walls that he had constructed. What Daniel needed to learn more fully and more deeply was nothing more and nothing less than the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Daniel simply needed to, to know was that God was extending mercy to him in tearing down his walls. You remember earlier in the biblical accounts, I pointed out that the tearing down of walls was an act of judgment. Whether it was against Jericho or Israel herself when the Babylonian armies came and destroyed Jerusalem. But in Daniel's life, mercy triumphs over judgment because Daniel has placed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel trusts that Jesus went to the cross and paid the ultimate penalty that his sin deserves, and it is finished. 
it's been paid. Judgment is, has been already transferred to Jesus and dealt with, and now everything that God is at work doing in Daniel is not judging in the gospel deconstruction of tearing down walls. It's love. It's grace. It's mercy. Whatever God tears down clears the way for him to rebuild in Daniel and in any follower of Jesus Christ with everything that Christ has done and everything that Christ is. It's no surprise that Daniel's growth in freely living and loving accelerated with his uh, participation in Celebrate Recovery starting back in January. He, he shared with me that what drew him in and then kept him there was the safety and openness of the gathering. Because if everyone, when you show up on, on Wednesdays at 7 o'clock right here, if everyone's openly sharing about their brokenness, that's an environment that suffocates judgment and criticism and um, self-righteousness. And that soil that breeds compassion and empathy and forgiveness and unity in common experience as a broken person in a broken world. That was oxygen to a suffocating man, spiritually speaking. You can join or visit or check out CR, Celebrate Recovery, every Wednesday night right here at 7 p.m. And you will find uh, some, uh, Daniel, I don't know if he's there every Wednesday, but you'll find men and women who are far more willing than the average person to say, you're messed up, so am I. You, you, you've suffered from dysfunction, let me tell you about mine. And, and the, the security of coming out from behind your walls and not getting mugged, not getting spiritually judged and looked down upon and ignored because you don't fit the mold of a good church person will be so different than what you'll experience. Grace and mercy here. If you're not comfortable coming on a normal Wednesday night, what uh, Celebrate Recovery is planning is an open house on Wednesday, October 14th. Same time, 7 o'clock. Lots of us will be there supporting Celebrate Recovery, praising God together at what He's done in, in building this ministry. And you won't know, nor should you ask, whether people are there every Wednesday or they're just like you, checking things out for the first time. That's, there's no safer way to, to check that out uh, than Wednesday, October 14th, open house. Back to the grace story. Whatever chapters are in your personal grace story, you have your own methods of self-protection. Daniel's not unique in displaying two things at the same time. You might think that, you know, there's multiple personalities going on, but um, I think this is pretty typical. He displayed both active aggression in anger and blame shifting, as well as passive withdrawal and isolation. doesn't make sense necessarily from the outside, but I think it's pretty consistent because sometimes self-defense means hiding. Get in those city walls and close the gate. And sometimes self-defense means preemptive strikes, shooting arrows, lobbing grenades, making sure they don't get close enough to hurt you. You'll hurt them before they can hurt you. And always there are idols at root. Whatever you'd fill in this uh, sentence uh, with and finish it with is likely your idol. I must have. I must have safety, security, freedom from pain, freedom from responsibility. I must have control over life, always be right, guard my own comfort. 
Whatever that may be, idols are always at root underneath whatever dysfunction you're experiencing and whatever dysfunction you're freely sharing and afflicting other people with. Are, are you ready to see God tear down your walls in love and mercy? Are you ready to live and love more freely than you ever have before? It will hurt. No false promises here that the road ahead would be easy. But the richness of loving and living more fully as God designed you to live and love is well worth it. The first step is to see for the first time for some of you or uh, again more clearly than ever before for others of you. The first step is to see that God the Father loves you perfectly just as you are because the Son has earned that approval with His perfect love, His obedience, His righteousness. Do you know that? If you don't, that's the first step. If you do, you've got to go back to step number one on a daily basis and remind yourself. And if you don't even know how to take that first step, come talk to me. Talk to Daniel. Uh, come on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, and ask people how to take that first step. They will graciously help you along the way. Lastly, do you know what the end of this greatest of all stories describes in the last pages of the Bible? It describes a wall built by God. Listen to the Apostle John describe his vision of the new Jerusalem, the holy city of God coming down. He says, it had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. This is the great wall which will never be destroyed, which will always protect. Obviously, because God built it, and it's got the greatest defenses, but more to the point, this wall is the greatest wall that provides safety and security, is the ultimate fortress and refuge for your soul because, Revelation 22, the next chapter, verse 3, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. Where God is is where you will be fulfilled. In His presence is what you were designed to enjoy forever. That is where you find peace. That is where you find refuge. That is where you find full, unfettered, unconditional love. That's what we all long for. Let's pray toward that end and keep our gaze fixed on Jesus. Lord, you are building and you will build that ultimate wall with everything that Jesus is. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do the same gracious gospel work in our lives as you've done in Daniel's. Tear down that wall. Tear down our walls. Tear down anything we've built because it won't last. It certainly won't protect. It won't fulfill. It won't dispel the fears. But show us that you desire to build in us something new. That's all about Jesus. We pray this in His name.